It is so good to join all of you and to see all of you here with us for Purpose Church Online. Last week, Pastor Glenn began our series, Quarantine Christianity, where essentially we're asking the question, is our faith big enough to handle the situation, the coronavirus, the quarantine that we're experiencing. And and as many of you probably know, much of the Bible was actually written to people who were going through really difficult and challenging times. Last week, Pastor Glenn kicked off our series talking about how quarantine is beneficial, it's biblical, and it's actually practical. And maybe you're going, I don't know if I buy that. Then I would encourage you to go check out our YouTube channel or go check out our website. You can watch Pastor Glenn's message from last week. It was absolutely phenomenal. Well, you know, when when Jesus was on the scene, when he entered the pages of history in the first century, there was something that most Jewish followers of God were extremely anxious, stressful about, and even experienced some fatigue over. It was the 613 commands that they were expected to follow. Now, some of those God had given them, but others had been added by other religious leaders. And so it actually brought a lot of stress and worry and anxiety and fatigue to their life. But fast forward 2,000 years to this moment, as you're watching this live broadcast in your home, you're probably not as concerned about those 613 commands, but, but maybe, just maybe, you're concerned about the 613 questions you have about how the heck are you gonna homeschool your kids this week? Or or maybe you're already anticipating the 613 Zoom video chats that you have to participate in for work this next week. Or or maybe, honestly, you feel like a 24-hour day just became a 613-hour day, and you're just wondering, how are you going to fill that time. I mean, you've watched Tiger King and that wasn't really that great. You, uh, there's no live sports games on, so you can't really do that. Maybe you've checked out CNN or Fox, but at this point it's, it's not even helpful to you anymore. I wonder what is it that has got you fatigued and bored? You see, when Jesus showed up in history, I believe that he wanted to proclaim something really bold and audacious. And and I think the message he gave to his first followers is the same message he wants to give to you and me. And it's this, there's another way. Like, yeah, yeah, there's another way to overcome the fatigue and the boredom that you and I are experiencing. What I want to do for the next few minutes together is I want to look at three sentences that Jesus said where he presents two big ideas that I believe have the power to change how you and I continue through this season of quarantine. Can I just ask you at home right now, if you're sitting around some people or maybe you're engaging on our Facebook live chat or on our website chat, could I just ask you to be honest with us for a minute? Are you fatigued or are you bored or are you both? But yeah, take a quick second. Go ahead and write it in the chat. Are you fatigued? Are you bored or are you both? Maybe turn to the person next to you and, and let them know where you're kind of at right now. And here's the deal. No judgment, right? I mean, I mean, you could be fatigued or bored or both. It kind of depends on your stage of life or season of life. But I believe all of us fit into one of those three categories. But the reality is this. I believe Jesus wants to tell you there's another way to turn your fatigue and boredom into peace and purpose. I believe Jesus wants to rewrite the script of your life right now, taking where there is fatigue and boredom 
and instead downloading and installing peace and purpose. So would you hear these words from Jesus? Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28 through 30, Jesus says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Another way, number one, that Jesus gives us is this. Rest with Jesus and you will find peace. Let's just look at verse 28 again. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That word that Jesus used there, come, is not a command. It's not him inserting himself into our lives, but it's instead an invitation. It's an offer to come close. But notice he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. In the original language, weary and burdened, we're not just like a, Jesus isn't talking about a a one-time event that's happened to you. Some, you had one bad day. He's talking about people who have been in an ongoing season that has brought about weariness and burden. Friends, Jesus is talking to you. And you know what I love about Jesus? And maybe you're new to Jesus or you're just checking this out for the first time. Can I just let you know in on a little secret about Jesus? He will always invite you as you are to come to him. Jesus isn't saying, hey, I want you to go figure out how to deal with your fatigue and your boredom and your weariness. I want you to go take care of that on your own. And once you clean yourself up and figure that out, then come to me and let's hang out. No, no, Jesus says, I want all of you. Bring every part of your worries, every ounce of your anxiety, every fear that you have, bring it to me because I want you. What is it that has you weary? Maybe for some of you, it's just that you're not really sleeping right now. Did you know that before Thomas Edison invented the light bulb in 1879, the average human on planet Earth was sleeping at least 11 hours a night? I mean, is that terrifying? Some of you are like me, you're in the five, six hour range, 11 hours. Maybe you're just not getting enough sleep. Maybe for some of you, it's your mobile devices. It's your smartphone. I mean, you're just finding yourself even more addicted to it than ever before. Did you know that studies have shown that the average smartphone user touches their device 2,617 times, wait for it, every single day? You see, friends, there's a lot right now that you might be feeling weary about. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's finances. Maybe you're just feeling fatigued because... When there's other people around you who might be resting, you're an essential worker or you're taking care of some kids at home or you're trying to figure out how to pay the bills and it just feels like the responsibilities have doubled or tripled on your shoulders. Well, friends, can I remind you God's end game for you? This is, this is God's end game, a relationship with you. That's his end game. That, that is what he is all about. So he's going to bless you. He's going to bring rest into your life. He's going to be intentional. He's going to show himself to you, but it is always for the purpose of drawing you into relationship with himself. Just this week, I was reading in Second Chronicles chapter 7, and 
There's this amazing moment where Solomon just built this giant temple for the Lord. Look at what happens right after the temple's been built. Check out how God enters into the temple to reveal himself and then notice how the people respond to him. Second Chronicles 7.3, when all the Israelites saw fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on their pavement with their faces on the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord. So God has just showed up in a really powerful way. They built this awesome temple and all of a sudden fire comes down from heaven and God's like, what's up y'all? I'm here. Can you imagine how you would be feeling? How would you interpret God in that moment? Well, this is how they interpreted God. He is good and his love endures forever. He is good and his love endures forever. You see, God is gonna show up in your life, I believe, in huge ways. But his desire is that you would respond to him recognizing that he is good in relationship and that he is loving and desires a relationship with you. So how do you rest with Jesus? What does that look like? If, if resting with Jesus ultimately will bring peace to us, if, if that's what Jesus says in this passage, that he wants to give us rest, what does that look like? I want to begin with a question. I want you to think about this. What will help me connect with the God who is wanting to connect with me? Maybe even right now in the chat, would you just let us know what are some ways you connect with God? Maybe it's going out and about in his creation. Maybe it's spending time in his word. Um, Maybe it's prayer. What is it that you do to connect with God? I think that's the beginning place in terms of what it means to rest with God is to ask yourself, how can I connect with the God who desperately wants to connect with me? Now, if you want to do that, You've got to create margin in your life. And friends, there's a difference between margin and boredom. Margin is intentional space in your schedule to rest, to be creative, to dream, to think, to process. Boredom is unintentional and unguided time that usually makes a mess of your life. Maybe some of you are going, I'm not bored at all. Well, let me just talk to those of you that are feeling kind of bored right now. I found this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, 15 to 16, where I think Paul wants to remind you and I of something that we could stumble into if we allow unintentional and unguided time to sort of dictate our schedule. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I think Paul might be suggesting to you and I that our gravitational pull, our natural inclination is towards things that are ultimately going to destroy us. You see, that that's our sin nature within every single one of us. And I don't need to look much farther than my son Levi to make this very evident to me. My son Levi, he's a year and a half. And, and I feel like Levi wakes up every single morning. Maybe you have a, a little one as well. He wakes up every single morning. And I believe in his mind, this is his first thought. How can I test my parents' ability to keep me alive today? I think that's what he's doing. I think he's waking up and going, how can I test my parents' ability to keep me alive today? Because I'm telling you, within three seconds, he is climbing on top of the table, ready to do like the trust fall. You know what I mean? I mean, he is sticking his finger in the socket. I mean, he will do anything to literally try to destroy his life, to destroy his days. And friends, if you and I choose boredom over margin, I think we'll do the exact same thing. Let me give you just three 
quick ways to begin resting with Jesus. Number one is this. I want to encourage you to spend 30 minutes of uninterrupted time with Jesus every day. 30 minutes of uninterrupted. Put your phone away. Put the distractions away. Spend time with God. In in Mark chapter 3 verse 14, Jesus has just called this group of disciples, this group of followers to to go with him and to launch this brand new movement, to tell the whole world that Jesus has shown up to save all of humanity through his death and his resurrection. And, but before Jesus sends them, listen to what he says. Jesus appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Friends, before you were invited to go and do, you were invited to be with Jesus. You see, the world doesn't need you to just go and do. The world actually needs you to be with Jesus first. Do you know what your husband or your wife needs? Do you know what your your kids need? Do you know what your your work environment needs? Your boss, your supervisor, the employees under you, they actually need you to be with Jesus first because then when you go and do, you are going and doing as someone who has been fueled by your relationship with Jesus. Jesus. Now I get it. Honestly, our attention spans nowadays are horrible, right? I mean, it's difficult to think about spending 30 minutes of uninterrupted time with Jesus. Did you know that every year studies are showing that a human's attention span is going down? Did you know that right now the average human can like stay focused on something for about eight seconds? Eight seconds. Are you ready to be discouraged a little bit? The average goldfish has the attention span of nine seconds. We're literally second place to goldfish in terms of our attention span. You've been in that situation before where somebody's talking to you and they've been talking for a while and then all of a sudden your mind just like checks out for like 30 seconds, right? Because you just need a little break. And then it's that perfect moment where they respond and go, so what do you think? And you're like, oh my my gosh, like, wow, how do I, I, uh," and you just ask some question like, you know, could you just tell me more? Like really that's your way of saying, honestly, I wasn't listening to you. I, I get it that Keeping our attention on God and spending time with him is going to be challenging. But I was really encouraged this week when, when I logged on to Facebook. There's a woman in our church. Her name's Sarah Dykema. And I just saw a post that she wrote up on Facebook. She said, ladies, I want to wake up every morning at 5.30 a.m. and spend time with Jesus. Do any of you want to do that with me? Who do you need to surround yourself with so that you can prioritize uninterrupted time with Jesus? I have found in my own time with God, that when I do that, when I prioritize that, when I prioritize that, it changes my entire day. It changes my week. Number two, go on a prayer walk. I know, I know getting outside right now can be challenging. Maybe you'd have to wear a mask. Make sure you're keeping social distancing and and all that. I, I get all that, but could I encourage you? Go outside and go on a prayer walk and look at all that God has created. And in Psalms, uh, Psalm 24, verse one and two, it says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. All of this, everything that you see, everything in your home, everything you see out your windows, it all belongs to God. So let's give him thanks. It means we can see God in everything that we experience and in every scenery that we find ourselves in. Number three, and this might be a tough one. Number three, ditch your phone. Ditch your phone. In other words, take a Sabbath. Take a day where you set time apart. You limit the distractions. You say no work. You say no school. And you even say maybe no phone. You limit yourself and you take an entire day to just connect 
with God. You see, when you choose to take a Sabbath, like, like a full day of disconnecting to be with God, to be with your friends and your family, to enjoy his presence, you know what you do? This is what you do. You position yourself to be refreshed by God. When you take a Sabbath, you position yourself to be refreshed by God. Why is that important? Because you have an enemy. Do you know that? You have an enemy who, who desires to devour you when you're weak and where you're weak. He's coming for you. In fact, he's not holding back. If you're not spending time with him, if you're fatigued, if you're burning the candle at both ends, he knows that and he loves that because you're not positioning yourself to be refreshed by God. But not only does Jesus desire that we would rest with him, but another way, number two, is when we work with Jesus, we will find purpose. Check out the next few verses of Matthew chapter 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In verse 29, when Jesus talks about learning from me, he's not just talking about you intellectually understanding things about him. He's actually talking about you and I apprenticing under him. Like like you and I following him, not just thinking as he thinks, but actually doing as he does. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be an apprentice, to follow after Jesus is to think like Jesus, but also to actually do like Jesus. And, And then Jesus uses this really interesting word yoke, right? And We don't really use that unless we're talking about somebody who's like super buff at the gym, like they're yoked. Like we don't really use that phrase. Here's what Jesus is talking about. Back in Jesus' day in in an agrarian society like he was in, big, large animals would help to work the ground. and, And the most effective way to get animals to carry large pieces of equipment was, was to put a yoke over them. It was literally this, this wooden contraption with these divots so that it would go over the animal's shoulder and they would literally be yoked together. And this idea in verse 30 of Jesus's yoke being easy, it literally means the yoke was well fit to the animal. And so in a sense, I believe Jesus is saying this, I desire for you to be next to me, for you to be synced up to me, for you to be connected with me so that we can go about life together. Maybe for some of you, this is breaking down some paradigms that you have about God. You're convinced that God is like way out there somewhere. I mean, he's just gone and you have to figure it out. That is not the picture that Jesus paints here. He says, no, 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 I want to be right next to you. I want to be yoked up next to you, synced up with you. And here's what's profound. Study after study has found that when animals, large animals are yoked together, they can oftentimes carry four times their own body weight. Is it possible Jesus is saying that your desire to have a a big impact, to live a meaningful, significant life, to have purpose might come if you're yoked together with him? Isn't that so beautiful that the God of the universe says, I wanna go through life side by side with you. There's a, a theologian who's studied the gospel of Matthew over and over again. His name is Frederick Dale Bruner. And listen to how he talks about this passage. He says, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. 
But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering an escape, Jesus offers equipment. I believe Jesus wants to equip you and me to experience purpose at his pace, to to trade our fatigue and our boredom to working with Jesus and allowing Jesus to work in our lives in a way that we ultimately will experience so much purpose from. And so I just want to ask you five questions. I I think this is a great place to start in terms of where Jesus might want to work in your life. And I absolutely believe he wants you to live an easy, burden-free life, but the road to get there can be challenging because Jesus wants to unearth some habits in us, some struggles, some challenges, so that we could live that restful, peaceful, purposeful life that he has for this. Uh, So let me ask you five questions. Number one, how are you dealing with your pain? How are you dealing with your pain? There's this moment in John chapter 16, verse 33, where Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, for some of you, life has gotten so painful, so challenging, so difficult that you're realizing you're beginning to respond to your pain in really destructive ways. You know, there's a, a young adult who was texting me recently and she just found out some horrible, horrible news. And as she was texting me, she said, I honestly don't know what to do now. I, I encourage her, I said, make a list. And I would, if, if you're in a place right now where things are really hard for you, I want you to make two lists. I want you to make a list of all the things you should be doing right now. All the things that are gonna be healthy, helpful, Christ-centered for you to do. And then I also want you to make a list of all of your tendencies, all the bad decisions you would be likely to make in this season. And I want you to look at both of those lists every single day and I want you to make a decision. I'm going to follow the list that leads towards life, not the list that leads towards death. And as her and I were texting back and forth, she was saying, Eric, that's exactly where I'm at. I'm trying to figure out which way I'm going to go. You see, here's the reality. You have two options with your pain. You could run to God with it, or you could run away from God with it. It, it, I want you to think about this luggage as the pain in your life. And, And yes, I did bring this one. This is the one I travel with. This is like my kids and my wife, but you know, this is mine. So I want you to think of the luggage as your pain that you're experiencing right now. Here's your options. You got the pain and you have two ways you can go with it. You can either run as far away with your pain and guess what? You're still stuck with it. Or... Jesus is inviting you to deal with your pain, to bring it to him, to let him sort it out, to let him work on it, to allow him to rid you of it. And and maybe for some of you, that's where the addiction started. There was so much pain, so much hurt. and, And so the alcohol, the drugs, the the things you're looking at online, that it just became so overwhelming and it's disconnected you from your family and your friends. How are you dealing with your pain? Number two, what are you avoiding? You know, Sarah and I began marriage counseling a little over a year ago. 
but I want to admit something to you. Sarah, my wife, had been asking that we go to marriage counseling for years before that. And this is how much of a hypocrite I am. You know what I told her? I said, babe, we don't need it. We're fine. We, we don't need that. And all the while, I was recommending as a pastor, you should go to counseling. You should go to counseling. You should go to counseling. And I wasn't willing to go myself. And you know what I realized? I was avoiding some of the pain. I was avoiding some of the brokenness. I was avoiding the issues we needed to deal with. It reminded me of when I was in the fifth grade, I was skateboarding down this hill by my friend's house and, and I tripped over some kind of rock or crack and, and the palm of my hand went into the, the gravel on the street and, and I pulled my hand up and I remember being like, oh my gosh, I mean, there was just blood everywhere and my skin was all torn up and there was rocks and dirt and all kinds of stuff in there. And, and so we ran into my friend's house and, and his mom pulled out this brown bottle. And maybe you remember this. I don't even know if they sell this anymore, but it was a brown bottle of hydrogen peroxide, right? And this thing, like it's torture. No kid should have to go through this, right? I, I hope they've, you know, it's not around anymore, but they... I remember his mom got out this hydrogen peroxide and she poured it on my wound. And you guys literally, I thought it was over. I just thought I might as well die because this pain is so incredible. But here's what happened. We poured the hydrogen peroxide on. It cleaned out the wound. We put a Band-Aid over it and eventually my palm healed up. You know what I would have wanted to do in that moment? I would have loved had I known the hydrogen peroxide was coming. I would have said, you know what? Thanks, I'll take care of it by myself. And what I would have done is I would have avoided it. But friends, if you avoid a wound, the bacteria is only going to spread. And here's, here's the thing. You know what's worse than the pain that I experienced from the hydrogen peroxide would be having to amputate my arm. And here's the thing. Some of you are avoiding going to counseling or talking with your spouse about some serious issues that are going on or dealing with the resentment that your kids have or you're not willing to apologize. And, and what you're doing is you're saying, you know what, I'll just, I'll hold on to this and I don't want to experience the pain that I'm going to have. But do you know what's worse? Do you know what's worse than apologizing? Do you know what's worse than going to counseling? Do you know what's worse than dealing with what you're going through right now? It's when your wife leaves you. It's when you're completely bankrupt. It's when your family doesn't want to be around you anymore. Friends, what is it that you are avoiding? Jesus wants you to live a burden-free, an easy-yoked kind of life, but it's going to require you to come face-to-face with what are you avoiding. Number three, When are you being a hypocrite? When are you being a hypocrite? So I had this moment the other day where I was, um, I I was, uh, I I saw this quote and I read it and and I'm just going to read it to you and tell you how I felt about it. The quote said this, often kids are on their devices because of a lack of emotional connectedness with their parents. It's our unavailability and busyness as parents and educators that make them default to the easy stimulation of a screen. And I read that and I'll be honest with you, I thought about times I've seen parents do that. I've I've thought of times I've seen parents hand their kids screen. I've thought to myself, why in the world are they doing that? And can I just tell you this? I just want to admit this to you. All of a sudden, God's so good. He reminded me of where I was as I was reading this. You know where I was? I was in another room on Instagram while my kids were in another room watching TV. Do you, do you see the hypocrisy there? Do you, do you see it? I mean, I, I'm the same as you. Here's the thing. This isn't about you. This is about us. This is about me. This is about in this moment. Are we being hypocrites? Are we casting so much judgment on other people 
when all the while we're doing the same thing? I mean, can I just say, you know, you know what your kids and your spouse needs? I mean, can I just share with you guys? You know what Sarah needs? She doesn't need me to preach a great message. She doesn't need me to work so hard. You know what she needs? She needs my time. She needs my attention. Our kids, they need that. Question number four. What is your vision? What is your vision? And maybe a follow-up question with this. How closely is your vision for your life aligned with God's vision for your life? Like, like what's your vision for your marriage? What's your vision for parenting? What's your vision for your career? I was doing a wedding Recently, I did a coronavirus wedding. There was only about five or six of us there. And it was this amazing couple in our church, Bronte and Austin. And I love this young couple. They're so incredible. And before they got married, before we did the ceremony, I asked them, I said, what is your vision for your marriage? Like, what's going to be the thing that kind of keeps you going in your marriage? And, and they told me, they said, you know, our, our vision is entering with love and grace. We want to enter every single conversation, every conflict, every issue, every big decision with love and grace. I just checked in with them yesterday and you know what they told me? They said already they have had to implement that vision already. And y'all remember this, if you've been married for you know, a few weeks, you remember the fight start, you know what I mean? The challenges come and already they had a vision for their marriage that helped them navigate this season. What is your vision for your life? What's your vision for your relationships? And then number five, lastly, are you living your life at God's pace? You know, by my figure, you wouldn't know this, but I don't run a lot, right? And I, you know, I'm I'm into working out if it's fun, but running just hasn't been super fun for me. But I've talked with some of my friends who are runners and they tell me that if you're gonna run competitively, you need a pacer. Right? You, you need somebody who's going to run alongside you and make sure that you're going to finish strong. Can I ask you a question? Are you living your life at God's pace or at the world's pace? Here's the problem. Some of our best role models are horrible pacers. I mean, some of our role models are wildly successful and yet they're completely bankrupt. They've accomplished so many great things but they're a relational train wreck. I mean, they're wealthy beyond our wildest imagination, but their family doesn't want to be anywhere near them. But you and I, if we're going to have the burden-free life that Jesus desires for us, if we're going to have true purpose, we've got to remember Jesus is our pacer. So we don't just think like him, but we do like him. We go at his pace because Jesus, he leaned into the father. He went where the father called him to go. And so are you and I running at the pace that God has given us? C.S. Lewis, the brilliant thinker and writer, he had a spiritual director by the name of Walter Adams. And Walter Adams said this, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. And so friends, there's another way. There's another way to overcome fatigue and boredom or both. It's resting with Jesus. It's working with Jesus. It's being synced up with Jesus. You see here, here's the deal. COVID-19 will eventually 
come to an end. It's going to happen. We don't know when. Some people think earlier. Some people think later. We don't know when it's going to come to an end, but we know that it will. And for the rest of your life, people are going to be asking you, especially the younger generations, they are going to be asking you this question. What was it like? Like, What was it like to go through the coronavirus? What was it like? Friends, do you recognize that you are literally writing history? You're writing your family's legacy. You're writing the story of your life in this season right now that everyone is going to look back on. What's that story going to sound like? Is your story going to be, oh man, we were terrified. <laughs> I mean, we, it, was, it was so scary. And man, I, I just kind of, I want to forget about it. Or is your story going to be, yeah, it was, it was crazy. And I definitely felt afraid at times. But I saw God move. But my faith just doubled, tripled, quadrupled. But I got to experience the living God working in our lives. I got to see miracles all around me. What story will you and I tell? I've told you this before and I'll say it again. God can do far more through a willing person than he can a talented person. God can do far more through a willing person than he can a talented person. If you're simply willing to come to Jesus, to work at his pace, to allow him to deal with the things in your life that are holding you back from the burden-free life he desires for you, he'll do something incredible in your life. Let me close with a story. A few nights ago, I was tucking my oldest son, Charlie, into bed. And as I was tucking him into bed, I asked him a question that I oftentimes ask my kids, and it's this. Charlie, is, is there anything in your mind that you've been thinking or is there anything in your heart that you've been feeling that you haven't told me yet? I'd, I'd love to hear about it. And he said, yeah, Dad. He said, I'm feeling really guilty. I said, you're seven. Like, what are you, like, you guilty? You, you took a cookie from your sister? Like, what are you guilty about? And he said, well, he told me a few things. He told me a few things that he was feeling really guilty about. And some of them he didn't even mean to do. And I reminded him of something. I said, Charlie, you know what's so beautiful about Jesus? Every intentional and unintentional sin, his grace covers. Everything you mean to do and everything you accidentally do, his forgiveness and grace covers and some of you are my Enneagram one friends and perfectionism is just your challenge or your struggle or maybe it was something in your upbringing that caused you to just feel so guilty can I tell you that if you run at the pace Jesus has set for you if you come to him all of you all of your guilt and shame and pain and hurt and frustration if you bring it to him Jesus will respond to you every single time with grace you see Jesus he doesn't hand out grudges. He hands out grace. I told that to Charlie and I said, here's the deal, Charlie. Let me ask you a question. Who do you think wants you to feel guilty, Satan or Jesus? And he said, I, I think Satan, daddy. And I said, okay, so let's not let Satan win. For some of you, Satan's been winning way too long in your life. Give that up. Trust it to Jesus. And then Charlie said this. He said, daddy, I finally understand what mommy's been telling me. She's been telling me that whenever I feel guilty, I need to tell somebody about it. Because whenever mommy tells somebody about it, she feels better. And, and now 
I feel better. So maybe you need to tell somebody about the fatigue or the boredom or both that you are experiencing. Friends, I would love to just close our time this way. Would you close your eyes right now? Yeah, everyone at home, unless you're watching a toddler, keep your eyes open. But otherwise, would you just close your eyes? I want to read these words over you from Jesus that we began our time with. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.